0: listening to The Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program. Before we go any further, can I see your citizenship? Can I? No. I, all of them. I don't. Where? Where are you from? Where were you born? Where are your parents born? I need to see all of your citizenship papers, please. Papers! We really have gone crazy on this campaign trail Andrew Shear now embroiled in this. Well, why did you not mention that you happen to be an American citizen, a dual citizen? And maybe you might have thought of that when you were taking shots at other people for the same sort of thing. Maybe you might want to have thought about that. Andrew Shear uh, is talk, trying to talk about guns today, saying that he try to keep illegal guns from crossing the border into Canada from the U S he's been critical of the liberals for promising that cities can ban handguns when that doesn't really stop the source of the guns coming in from the United States, where Andrew Shear is also a citizen. You see? So now we don't care about the guns because we care about the citizenship. That becomes the new big deal. So here is Andrew Shear talking today and being completely knocked off his message track as he's asked a couple of times, hey, Andy, did you pay any taxes in the United States? It's not a big deal for Canadians to have dual citizenship. There are uh, millions of, uh, of Canadians who have had a parent born in one country or another, and uh, and I've always been uh,
1: tax compliant. I've always followed those laws. Respectfully, you didn't address my question. I think you want to be clear and open about this, mm-hmm. correct? So why don't you just say, how many times did you file a tax return to the U.S.? And in total, how much taxes did you pay to the
0: U.S.? Well, as you know, in Canada, in the U.S., we have a a tax treaty, uh, so I've only ever earned income in Canada. Uh, So I filed those taxes, and I've always earned income in Canada. My salary's been uh, publicly available on the the House of Commons website. Yeah, but you're an American. Huh? This is going to dominate the day's news, probably the next couple of days, and then it'll just go under the... Under the bridge, like everything else, and where will we be? We'll be still in the logjam that we've always been. Here is Jugmeet Singh reacting to questions about Andrew Shear and whether or not Mr. Singh thinks it's a big deal that Mr. Shear is a dual citizen. So, so I think Mr. Shear was uh, hypocritical, but I don't think that's a surprise. <laughs> it's not a surprise. But no, I think
1: this is a distraction, to be honest with you. I I can criticize Mr. Scheer for a lot of reasons. This isn't one of them.
0: That is Jagmeet Singh campaigning today, talking about the issue of the day and whether or not it is a big deal that Andrew Scheer has a dual citizenship. I think what, again, is not the deal is no big deal about the dual citizenship. It's the hypocrisy. It's the having been caught out as uh, someone criticizing somebody else for having precisely the same thing and not being... Not appearing to be completely honest. And here's the thing that I loved, is his first reaction when asked about this, Shear said, well, he's in the process of having it canceled. You see, he's waiting on the paperwork. And as soon as he gets the approval to sell insurance, he's going to be able to no longer be an American citizen. He's waiting on a lot of paperwork, Mr. Shear." The big news, of course, locally is the chance that kids will be out of school on Monday. The Ontario government and QP say they are going to resume talks today. They have now entered into a media blackout. In other words, what happens now is they're going to go into talks and then they're just not going to say anything. And they put this in place because then you can't negotiate through the media. You can't have one side going outside, well, the other side is just being completely unfair. And you see that quite a bit in these labor negotiations. You use the media, you use the press as a way to add pressure or to be able to spin things, try and get the public support on your side. So now we have a media blackout, but before all of that, we had everybody talking. So we've we've had CUPE talking this morning. We've had the Minister of Education just speaking just a few moments ago to our Queen's Park Bureau Chief, Travis Danraj, who's going to join us on the line in just a couple of moments. I'm not sure he's... We're just finding out whether he's with us He's coming with us in just a couple of moments. He's doing a little TV right now, but when he's done there, he's going to join us on the latest on what Stephen Lecce had to say. But here are some things that you should be thinking about if you are a parent. There are some options for you out there. Uh, Options being offered by organizations around the GTA in the event that we do not get a deal. And I am predicting right now that we are not going to get a deal. I really hope we do. And perhaps they're, you know, they're going to buckle down over the weekend and get to it. But I think there's a lot at stake here on the left side. I think there's a lot to be said about the timing of this and the kind of pressure that it's going to put on the federal conservatives. And I think the union is hoping that the federal conservatives and the Andrew Shears people are on the phone to Stephen Lecce right now, saying, "Get this deal done," because we do not want schools to be out and people to be thinking about that when. We're this close to the election. It's not going to be good. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I don't think we're going to get a deal. I just don't think that's going to happen. But because simply because two things here, bad blood and a what I also talked about there is the impetus on the left side, on the union side, not to get a deal or to get as much as you possibly can. You go out for a day, man, that's going to ratchet up the pressure, is it not? So here's a couple of uh, people that are doing orga- doing things on Monday some organizations that are doing some things on Monday to uh, be able to to help you if you comes to this and you have to find something for your kids. The National Training rink in Richmond Hill reach out to parents with uh, a last minute rescue it's offering a program for kids with or without hockey background again that is the National Training rink in Richmond Hill. Uh, Also, the Evergreen Brickworks, the Active Kids Zone, and Energy Karate, all on a growing list of facilities that will host strike camps if it comes to that. And with kids with special needs, Variety Village has said it is going to step up. So go to globalnews.ca. We have a growing list there of potential things that you might need just in case this happens in terms of a strike. I think we have Travis Danraj now, our Global News Queens Park Bureau Chief, who's just come now from speaking with Stephen Lecce, the Minister of Education. Hey, Travis.
1: Hello, Alan. How are you?
0: <laughs> I'm good, thank you, sir. Uh, listen, what did the Minister of Education have to say?
1: So, you know, I pushed him on a number of points here uh, when it came to This thirty five million dollars that he keeps quoting about how how much that is costing uh, taxpayers for each sick day Uh, I I talked to him about a range of issues on thirty five million dollars uh... you know he said well listen that's how much it's costing Ontario taxpayers but when you look at that bigger that's like across the entire education sector that includes teachers And I said you know when you put a number like that out there, uh, is folks that ask how you can be trusted because it, it seems like it's a bit of spin. Um, he says, obviously, that is not the case. And he also really went after uh, the union saying that they are the the ones who are uh, fully responsible for getting us to this position. He also pointed out that, uh, you know, there, this is a, a strike unique to others because if we get there... Um, you know, a labor action leading up to this would have been a uh, very short duration. We're talking about 48 hours or so before they served strike notice.
0: Yeah, many people have made that point that they went to work to rule on Monday, and then as of Wednesday they said, well, here's our five-day countdown to strike on Monday, as we are required to give. So it doesn't seem like they gave work to rule all much that much of a chance. Did you ask the minister whether he believes that there's a bigger play here in terms of trying to embarrass or hurt Andrew Scheer?
1: So I, I did ask him that uh, earlier this week, and we didn't go over that point because, I mean, he, he tends to repeat some of the same talking points. But what he said earlier this week is that he didn't want to uh, weigh into that, although he, he did. He said, you know, it's curious that the the strike would happen. Uh, during a leaders debate because there's an English debate, uh, if you'll remember on Monday, um, and, and so uh, he's alluding to the fact that absolutely one hundred percent this is political. The other thing I brought up with him is I, I asked him about priorities and I, I cited a couple of different examples. I mean, we're talking about custodians and Eas here we're talking about secretaries uh, and and cutting back some of their benefits. but I cited different uh, spending uh, you know, different stories that we've talked about when it comes to spending, Uh, carbon tax stickers, changes to license plates, open for business signs on highways, the patronage appointment scandals, and and he, uh, you know, kind of like basically sidestepped that and said that we are committed to public education, we're committed to students, and we're also committed to reducing the deficit.
0: Well, it is going to be a long weekend for a, and not a good kind of long weekend for a lot of parents as they watch this, and of course the negotiations continue. Travis Danraj is our Queens Park Bureau Chief. Join me on the line. Always great to have you on the program. Thanks, Travis.
1: Thanks, Alan.
0: You ever go for a fancy coffee and you just line up and you, you order it in like a you know, non-fat Mocha half-calf with sprinkles, and they write your name on it, and then you get it, and it's not what you ordered, and you think, this is ridiculous, I'm going to sue. Well, for some, it's not a laughing matter, including this man in Oregon who has a severe nut allergy and has now sued Starbucks, saying he ordered a coffee with soy, but was given almond milk instead. Now, the 34-year-old man has filed a $10,000 lawsuit against the company saying he had to rush to an emergency room in Portland after taking sips of the drink. Now, he says, hey, I'm a regular customer. Every time I go in there, I go, hey, dude, not allergy over here. He checked the cup, and it actually said right on it, soy milk. But he couldn't tell it contained almond milk by taste. The Seattle-based company says they are thoroughly investigating the situation. $10,000, wrong kind of milk. I just say be careful. Be careful when you're ordering your Java. News in terms of the city today announcing that they're going to try this new pilot project. Did you hear about this along Queen Street all the way from the east, and Brook, and one side all the way out to Ronsey? that if there is a car parked... At a time when it's not supposed to be parked, for example, in the afternoon rush, can't park from 3 to 6 in the morning, what is it, 7 to 9, that they're going to come and they're going to haul it away. You are going to haul away your car. And they would have done that before, but now what they're going to do is they're going to deploy a lot more of these tow trucks, and they're not going to haul them away to some far-flung yard. They're going to put them right close so they can get more of them. Global's Dave Woodard has more on this pilot project. It's a six-week pilot project that will affect the entirety of Queen Street from east of Vic Park to Roncesvalles. Mayor John Tory says this project will allow tow truck drivers to tow cars away to a side street instead of having to use precious time to take it to an impound lot.
1: It'll allow then the dedicated trucks that are going to be on this uh, Queen Street uh, to get back to doing the next car and the next car after that uh, much faster.
0: Police say if you park your car on Queen and find it's gone when you get back, there is a dedicated number to call, and they'll tell you where they took your car. Dave Woodard, Global News. And when you call, try not to cuss too much. Because i tell you, I, I've had my car. I'm sure everybody has at one point has done this. And you come back, and the car's not there. And then you look at the sign, and you realize, oh, man. And then you just start cussing. And it doesn't matter- and I tell you what it doesn't matter that you know you know it's your own fault, I think that's my fault, but I'm still outraged. I'm outraged. I tell you when the votes were counted at the end of the twenty eighteen election, the Liberal Party of this province was reduced to just seven seats, the so-called minivan party. The party should have been running a campaign to simply save the furniture instead of actually trying to win the election. That's according to Patricia Sorbera in her new book. Now, if you know that name, she was deputy chief of staff to Kathleen Wynne, and she was charged under Ontario's Elections Act in that Sudbury by-election debacle, you remember that, where they tossed aside one guy and then they got another one in there and there was a charge of bribery. Well, a judge ultimately dismissed the case for lack of evidence. But when Miss Sorbera went back to try and run the campaign for the liberals, she found that things were not to her liking. And more specifically, she also found that nobody liked her. She found that people threatened to resign if she returned. She writes about it all. Names, names is very candid in her new book called let them howl. I am pleased to welcome Patricia Sobera. Welcome.
2: Thank you, Alan. Glad to be here.
0: Your book is very candid. You name names and you say that you were pushed out and it was mishandled. Why?
2: Well, to speak to why it was so candid, uh, my, my style in politics, my style in management has been well known for a very long time. I am known as a blunt, direct, uh, pull no punches Person always have been that is my that has been my style for a long time. So when I found myself at home after the 2018 campaign and going reflecting back on my career in politics and deciding to write about it, there was really no um, no other way for me to do it. I had to write it in the same candid, direct way. And telling half a story versus telling the whole story as I knew it uh, was important to me, and I think uh, only fair to the people who would be reading it. So that's why.
0: The story that you tell is that after Sudbury was finished and you came back to the campaign team, you found the entire office in disarray.
2: What I found was that uh, the focus on the campaign side of things was not anywhere near where I would have thought it should be five months out of the actual election. And I I, I did try to... Look, I'd been gone, so to be fair, I I can't speak to what... uh, What was happening but what I do know from my many years of experience is that there's always a struggle between what government demands of you every day and what you have to do to be ready for the next campaign and if you don't start to bring focus to the campaign side it falls way way behind and that's what I witnessed was starting to happen the the government side of things was still taking the lion's share of the activity and energy of the same people who would be focusing on the campaign so uh, not so much, I wouldn't say disarray, as the fact that there was a heck of a lot to work, of work to be done in a very short time, in, in my estimation of the short time I was back.
0: There's been a lot of ink spilled trying to explain why Kathleen Wynne became so unpopular. Yeah. Do you bear some responsibility for that, especially with
2: what happened in Sudbury? You know, there's, there's no question that, that Sudbury was a big part of it, and I take my share of, of that, of course. Um... But I think that it still has to be put into the context of what was happening uh, in the political environment in which we were working. I mean, we were coming to 15 years, and that's, that's not an excuse, but for a modern, in modern day, a 14 and a half year government is a really long time. And I think no matter what, that cycle was, was coming to an end. But on top of that, um, I really do believe that we could never quite get to the point of what the expectations ex- exactly were of Kathleen Wynne. They seemed to be different for her than they had maybe been for all of the premiers before. They, they had a different expectations that she would act differently, be different, and in uh, the end of the day, I don't think they, they got that. The voters got that, and then they started to turn. Once they started to turn, uh, it was really hard to figure out how to get it back because, because all other issues then started to come to the forefront.
0: Should she have stepped aside?
2: I, I was not in favor of her stepping aside. I never recommended that. I, I thought at one point it maybe would have been good for her to talk about that this would definitely be her last campaign because she said that to us. Um, but no, I don't, I don't think there's anybody else that could have stepped up and suddenly become the, the person who could win the thing. I, I do think our time had run out.
0: That extraordinary press conference just days, just a week before the vote, where she said, I'm not going to be premier, would you advise that? What did you think of
2: that? Yeah, four days before, uh, which is pretty tough for them to turn around on the ground. I, uh, it's important to remember that my perspective is almost always from the ground perspective. And that's why I talk about in let them howl that it's imp- that I would have looked at the going into it differently more so than four days out. So what I would have looked at is the fact that uh, the numbers for two years had been showing that we were pretty much out of the play. and And again, I'm a kind of playing Monday morning quarterback here because I wasn't there but I know well enough from my long experience that you have a number of ways to go at it. You either go at it believing you can still pull this thing off or you go at it to save the furniture knowing that the that it was going to be a tough campaign all the way around. I don't I don't think the leader should have resigned but I think we should have understood that uh, we had to do what was best for the Ontario Liberal Party which was to save as many seats as we could.
0: Do you have a horse in the race in the leadership going forward? I, I
2: do not. I have not even really turned my head there yet.
0: What are the prospects for the Liberal Party in this province to come back?
2: Well, I think, again, there's a big danger in that people saying because of the uh, immense unpopularity of the Doug Ford government uh, that the, it will just have to elect anybody leader and will immediately get reelected. I think that's a huge danger because the foundation of the party is... Uh, the Ontario Liberal Party is um, not as strong as it needs to be to fight a campaign in terms of money, in terms of re- people who are committed to it, in terms of people understanding why they would even want to be a Liberal at the Ontario level. So I would say that uh, it would be a mistake to assume it's going to be a cakewalk because the opposition isn't doing well. Um, but I think, I think we can rebuild. I think the new leader's first task has to be not to look to being reelected, but to rebuilding the party.
0: Pat Rivera. great to have you on the program. Thank you. The new book is Let Them Howl. It's available now. Thank you to Pat Savera for being on the program. You can actually watch that interview this weekend on Focus Ontario. Focus Ontario runs on Saturday at 5.30 p.m. and then Sunday at 11.30 a.m. after the West Block, a great hour of political affair television, get you caught up on the federal campaign and everything that's happening in this province. Appreciate if you join us and watch Focus Ontario every weekend on Global News. A Quebec law firm is seeking authorization to launch a class action lawsuit against the makers of Fortnite, alleging it's highly addictive and can cause health problems. The lawsuit is against Epic Games, which is the U.S. company behind the popular online video game, as well as its Canadian affiliate, which is based in B.C. Fortnite. Your kids play this? Children are described as highly dependent on the Fortnite video game. And these parents say, had they known, they would have prevented them from downloading the game or monitored their activities more closely. (laughs) Said every single parent about every single app, every single time. The filing adds there are real physical, mental, and social consequences for those who are addicted to the game. I have a quick update on Fortnite from my life. I've talked quite a bit about it on the program before because I have an 11-year-old son who played a lot of Fortnite. Now, I asked him the other day, how's that Fortnite coming? Because nobody plays Fortnite anymore, Dad. It's done. It's a dead meme. It's finished. So there. I guess that's solved. Welcome back. The countdown is on. Negotiations are continuing between CUPE and the province and school boards trying to avoid a strike on Monday. Of course, if CUPE goes off the job, that means that the majority of school boards, the biggest ones at least, have already said that they will not open. They simply cannot open and protect student safety if they don't have these educational support workers there to actually run the schools, open the schools, take calls, find out who's absent, and so on, and so forth. But I want to play this one for you because, man, did this ever jump out at me. As the TDSB, the head director of education, John Malloy, in a press conference, talking about the expectations for other union members, in other words, union members that are not part of QP, Uh, read here teachers what are teachers expected to do come monday even if schools are closed
1: we looked as deeply as we could and the sheer decision was based on we couldn't ensure safety for all of our students if we remained open next week we understand that this is very challenging for our families we get the frustration and anger that this may cause and we certainly empathize with that but at the end of the day safety is paramount and we could not ensure that for all students.
0: And then he goes on to say, we're going to have activities. Teachers are expected to show up. There'll be activities. We don't know what they are, but we have activities. So that's going to be fun. Are you going to vote? Are you thinking about voting? I'm talking to you, young guy. Here is Sean Simpson of Ipsos asking the question, where are all the young dudes?
2: Well, what we find, it's sort of interesting, is that young men are the least likely to say that they're absolutely certain to vote. But older men are the most likely to say that they're going to vote. So again, there's a, a, something that happens as men get older that uh, seems to make them more interested in, uh, in politics, interested in the election, and uh, that's translated into a higher propensity to actually go out and
1: vote
3: on election day.
0: Because when you get older, you get crankier. That's what that's all about. You get the knees start going, you're like, Oh I'm going to vote ipsos has looked at the combined results of three polls it's done for global news during the campaign so far it finds that men in the 18 to 34 age group are more likely to be conservative voters than women in that group 31% to 24 those women are more likely to vote ndp than men 27% to 16 in fact young women are the strongest supporters of the ndp isn't that interesting I want to take you quickly to Hong Kong. The leader of Hong Kong has now banned protesters from wearing masks to conceal their identities. The move is seen as a hardening of the government's stance against the four-month-old and increasingly violent pro-democracy demonstrations. The territory's chief executive, Carrie Lam, says the violence in Hong Kong has got to stop.
2: Let me reiterate that I and my principal officials will continue our dialogue with the public. For so it is the best way to find solutions to some of the deep-seated social problems in Hong Kong and to allow Hong Kong to move forward.
0: Okay, so you're not allowed to wear masks. Anybody want to guess what happened immediately after Lam made that announcement? Thousands of mask-wearing protesters streamed into Hong Kong's Central Business District in open defiance of the ban. So that doesn't look like it's going to go away anytime soon. How you feeling? You got a tickle in the throat? Anybody, Anybody? flu season is just around the corner. It's getting colder outside. Automatically, you get that cold feeling. You think, I don't know. So what happens if you get sick? Are you required to actually show up with a doctor's note? Does your employer require you to provide a note? They can do so under Ontario regulations. Megan Cauley is a national online journalist for GlobalNews.ca. joins me in studio with more on this story. What have we found about what doctors and what medical professionals are saying?
3: Well, uh, they are, for the most part, opposed to requiring sick notes. Um, they, I spoke to one representative from the Canadian Medical Health Association, and they say it's a public health
0: risk. Public health risk because to have to go to the doctor's office and you got the germs...
3: Yeah, so you pose a risk to other people especially in an emergency room where there are people with um compromised immune systems, you can get other people sick. You can also get more sick by exerting energy to go out and obtain the letter. Um, you know, the 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 doctor's advice for the common cold or flu is to not move, stay home, rest, re- hydration, and, and that's really all you can do. So to ask people to go outside and go to their closest hospital or doctor, that's, that's a big ask.
0: So right now, in terms of the ongoing labor dispute with CUPE, one of the big sticking points is absenteeism. And so you have these extended periods of absenteeism. And I know employers are going to say that is an issue for my business, especially if you've got a small business. So how do you square that with these medical concerns?
3: Yeah. So this is an ongoing issue and it's difficult to find a solution that works. To be honest, a lot of doctors will admit that. Um, However, I was pointed in the direction of two large scale studies on the implementation of paid sick days. They took place in New York City and San Francisco. Um, And what they found was that implementing paid sick days didn't have that much of an impact on absenteeism rates overall. And in fact, workers weren't even taking all of their sick days that they had access to. They took them when they needed to, they got better, and then they were able to return to work.
0: No, the Ford government rolled back some of those legislative changes that the Wynn liberals had brought in. That was going to be part of the law, but it is no longer
3: Correct. Yeah. So as it stands in Ontario, your employer can require a sick note for as few as one day missed.
0: Interesting. Megan Cauley is a national online journalist and is writing this story for globalnews.ca. Thanks so much for coming in. It's so interesting. Thanks for having me. Welcome back to the program. Time for a bit of a giveaway. We're going to give away a family pack of tickets to the RV show that runs from October 18th to the 20th at the Toronto Congress Center. I have a skill testing question for you. I would like to see your citizenship. I would like to see all of your citizenships, if you don't mind. This, of course, coming from the news and the campaign trail that Conservative leader Andrew Scheer holds dual Canadian-U.S. citizenship he says he's in the process of renouncing his status as an American. Previously, Mr. Scheer was critical of Mikhail Jean, of the former Governor General. She, too, had dual citizenship Canadian and what? Mikhail Jean has since renounced that citizenship, but she was a citizen of Canada. And of what country? 416-870-6400. Star 64 on your cell. Call in. Get yourself some tickets. Head on down there to the RV show. And then head south of the border and you just cruise right through if you got yourself an American citizenship. If you're dual citizens, no problem. See? See how we all... We'll link it all together. Let's talk a little bit of entertainment, shall we? Because there is so much going on. And Mira Estrada is the culture expert here on this radio station and also the host of a great show every weekend here on this radio station, Cultured Pop Culture Show, which goes Saturday at 8 o'clock. Always great to see you.
4: Hello, hello. How are you doing? You feel good? Oh my gosh. It has been a busy week in pop culture.
0: All right. Um, I'm thinking that I'm going to go on one of those Joaquin Phoenix diets. I just think that that's what I'm going to do. Of course, The Joker is out this weekend. A lot of people will be going to see that. We talked a lot about it a lot yesterday. Of people won't talked about the controversy and you're right a lot of people concerned about it but here is what Keen phoenix saying that he prepared for playing the main character in joker by studying real-life killers but the actor says he felt conflicted when he delved into traumatic events in their childhoods it was complicated and, and um, it was messy and uncomfortable and i didn't know how to feel from one moment to the next um, and I I think that's important to be challenged in, in, in that way. A lot of people are saying that Joaquin's performance is excellent, but much of the way he feels conflicted, that's the way people feel coming out of the theater, is that are we trying to explain away mass violence with this movie, Mira?
4: Yeah, so I, I read a great, actually, piece from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He writes a lot of op-eds for The Hollywood Reporter. And he said... I don't know if we're looking at this too deep, like this is an art piece after all. And if we look at it that way, then should we condemn all rom-coms and romance novels? And do they don't have to take the blame um, or feel like shamed into paying for um, anti-incel, you know, movements because in some way, you know, they're making people feel, bad about romance like you know and then same thing with um you know country music do country music festivals and country music um artists bear responsibility for that shooting like how far do we go with this? so
0: i mean saying that this is just at the end of the day another comic book hero movie and i want to quote this for you martin scorsese saying today and this is making news that he's talking about you know superhero movies quote Honestly, the closest I can think of them, as well made as they are, with actors doing the best they can under circumstances, is theme parks. It isn't the cinema of human beings trying to convey emotional psychological experiences to another human being. That is the director Martin Scorsese talking about superhero movies. I wonder if you agree with that. You like hmm. the superhero movies?
4: I'm I'm not a I'm not a huge I'm I'm a huge Movie buff, I'm not actually a big fan of the superhero
0: You and I both. We often have Fearless Fred on this program, and he tries to defend the superhero <laughs> movies. Oh, yes. He loves the superhero loves movies. Them. Anyway, let's move on to Banksy, because I found this fascinating. A large Banksy painting depicting primates sitting in the UK Parliament has sold for more than $16 million Canadian. That is a record price at auction for a work by the secretive British street artist. Now, Devolved Parliament, that's the name of the actual artwork, in which chimpanzees replace politicians in the British House of Commons, surpassed its estimated price tag of $1.5 million by going for $16 million dollars. And here's what's so fascinating: this this artwork has been around for a a while mm-hmm. in various forms. And what some sharp-eyed commentators noticed is the version that was sold at Sotheby's actually had a couple of changes in it. The one that I found the most interesting is the the chimp that is speaking at the podium, essentially probably the, the prime minister chimp. In the original hat, was holding a banana. That was pointed down. (laughs) Hmm. In this one, the banana is pointing up. I don't know what that means, but I'm going to leave that there. Just everybody, just think about that. Just one second. Just take a moment and think about it. And now get your minds out of the gutters, Mira. What do you make of it all?
4: You know what's timing is everything, right? Because Banksy's like the highest price that his last painting went for was 1.8 million, right? And now we're at 12 million. This is the U.S. dollars, right? right? So, look at that. That's a huge jump, and that speaks to that speaks to Brexit, right? <laughs> like, I, I think
0: so. And it, it also, I think, speaks to you know the last time he had an auction and that unbelievable thing where you know where it all the of shred. a sudden it shreds. Yeah, there were so many people in the audience just for the auction, hoping something cool would happen. Maybe it'll blow up. <laughs> Who yeah. knows? Maybe monkeys will come in.
4: <laughs> so yeah, I mean, timing and like he said, timing is everything. And it wasn't even it was the original title was question time now it's devolved parliament um it just it just speaks to to what people are feeling
0: it does doesn't it And so interesting, too, because Banksy not only is a pop culture artist, but also is obviously well sought after by major collectors. And you don't often see that intersection between something that is popular and also collectible at the same time. Those things don't always line up. Let's talk about Louis C.K. He's been playing at Toronto's Yuck Yuck Comedy Club throughout this week. He's got five sold out nights, strict restrictions on audience recordings, Uh, But there's been few limitations on the repertoire of jokes. The 52-year-old comedian walked onto the stage on Wednesday in his signature black T-shirt and jeans, and there was about 250 people in the crowd. He immediately tackled the subject of how his life has changed since since the sexual misconduct scandal rocked his career. Do you think he's closer, Mira, to some kind of public forgiveness, or is he making it worse?
4: Oh, God, he's making it worse. I mean... His these were the lines that he said. He's like, my thing is, I like to masturbate and I don't like to do it alone. Like he as is nowhere near apology, like forgiveness. like he is a Louis CK He was then, he is now. and I mean, what shocked me is like he got a standing ovation. He got a standing ovation when he started back on tour in 20 um, in August 2018. He got a standing ovation. On Wednesday night as well what so, is it what
0: does that say to you I, I I'm trying to it does it say like funny is funny is funny or
4: it says those type of people like I think it was a small it was a pretty small 250 crowd. people yeah sadly those type of people find uh, wait, wait a
0: minute you're gonna you're, you're you're gonna cast dispersions on the audience members I mean I guess mm. I you know I'm not forgiving I'm not saying no. but but does Louis C. k not deserve the right to go into a small club and tell jokes? He
4: does, but does he not have to he did what he did. Like he's
0: and he's unap- unapologetic. I mean, he was yeah. slightly apologetic at the time, but now, obviously not. So yeah.
4: and like even with I think he he also alluded to uh, to the black to Trudeau and the blackface and saying, like, you know, just wait till all my blackface pictures come out. Like I don't know. I just, To me, he's...
0: But is comedy... And I'm uh, not arguing one way or the other, but is comedy not supposed to be edgy? I mean, that's what he effectively did. That's why he was a big star before, because he would talk about all of that stuff.
4: I don't know, but is there ever a line? Like, is there a, a line where it's not funny?
0: I... I don't. I mean, I would have a hard time laughing at this stu- sort of stuff. But I mean, the, again, uh, the man is a professional comic. That's his. And whole that's why I stick. guess if
4: you want to see that, those are the few that, that that go to that.
0: It is so interesting. All right, we're gonna run out of time. We don't. <laughs> we have time to talk about James Franco, but boy, he's in a world of trouble. Am I? Yeah. Is he so not? S-
4: the same sort of thing. So James Franco, um, he is being sued. A lawsuit against him. Um, apparently, he was intimidating student actors into performing sex scenes in an quote orgy type setting while promising false hopes of acquiring job opportunities. Um and the thing that's interesting about this is that since those allegations first emerged, Franco has made very few public appearances. He's
0: not telling jokes. He's he, not doing yeah. a comedy tour. But
4: his work has not slowed down. Like Re-
0: Yeah, you still you can yeah. still find him on TV.
4: The HBO series The he which he executive produces and stars in, that begins its third and final season. Um, it's already begun. That was September begun. So like he's still getting the work, even though all this is going on, which is interesting because some people are canceled right away.
0: But he's still out there. The it'll be strong. interesting. Mira Estrada is the host of Cultured, which you can hear Saturday at 8, 8 p.m. Thank 8 you so much for being on the program. And I will tell you the answer to our skill testing question. Michael Jean was a dual citizen of Canada and France.